it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, a lot of talent. Uh, Frank Siller has done more for... 9-11 victims and their families and now military and cop families and anybody else that I know of over the last 21 years since his, uh, since his brother died in the 9-11 attacks. Frank Siller, as we come up on 21 years since those attacks, uh, we have in-studio Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, wonderful guy. He's all over the channel. And Rich Lowry, editor of National Review at the bottom of the hour. Um, so before we get to Charlie and his latest thoughts and all the breaking news, and there's a lot today. It's very exciting. If you could see me on, t- on radio... I'm tingling because the Obamas are going back to the White House for the official unveiling of their portraits in the East Room. I don't know why they didn't go during the Trump years, and maybe they just got finished now. Victory. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. Please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. Energy idiocy. California and the cutting-edge green energy push is rolling blackouts imminent and a demand for stopping electricity usage. That's awesome. This is our electricity energy future. I don't think Americans will stand for it or sweat through it. Number two. Every Republican should put the word Biden in front of their opponent. So it's the Biden Warnick ticket, it's the Biden Fetterman ticket, it's the Biden Kelly ticket. And just make sure everybody understands, these people are all part of the same machine. That is uh, Newt Gingrich, who knows a thing or two about politics. 2022 is heating up as the Masters, Masters tries to get Senator Kelly on the debate stage in Arizona. And Dr. Oz, in a desperate hunt for the hoodie-wearing Bernie Sanders clone John Fetterman, to get him to square off on any stage and find out once and for all if he's capable of actually holding this job after his stroke. Number one. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. Election denial, not a Donald Trump-driven threat to democracy. Evidence clear from the pres- Biden's press secretary to Stacey Abrams to Hillary Clinton. It's been in practice for decades. So why is Trump labeled ultra-maga, Trumpy extremist, and a threat to democracy now? Uh, Charlie Hurt, I'm going to pose you that question. Why Why is they pretending that Donald Trump invented the election uh, challenge? <laughs> because it works. Because they've got the media on their side and they can get away with uh, making the claim. And uh, and it and it's uh, and it worked for them, you know. It's kind of you know it worked for them in 2020, so they're going to keep doing it. But but I love her explanation. This is Kareem Jean Pierre. Yeah, her explanation for it is this is ridiculous, meaning that no one should take her seriously, um, but everybody should take Donald Trump seriously. That's why this is a ridiculous comparison. But which leads to another question: well, Why are you White House spokesperson? Corinne Jean-Pierre tweeted this out uh, December 17, 2016. 
Stolen emails, stolen uh, stolen drone, stolen election. Welcome to the world of hashtag unprecedented Trump. Nice. Uh, and by the way, this didn't come up with a background check in the interview. Uh, how about they don't care? April second, twenty twenty. Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. So this is embarrassing. So, I mean, most people are playing this. So I mean, they are yeah. bringing this up. Not as much as Fox is because I can't uh, believe uh, other people haven't even lo- lo- thought to bring this up. Yeah, the, the AP or somebody else. Yeah, and 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 we've known about it uh, for some time. But but I love you know I, I get it. You know you you can't help but cringe every time KGP c- comes to the the. She's podium. awful. She's well, unprepared. She is, she is unprepared. She doesn't know anything. She she's in in uh, the, in the deep end of the pool. Um, she shouldn't be. And uh, but she's actually a pretty good reflection of her boss. And uh, in that respect, you know, I don't know. As a as a you know lifelong newspaper guy, I, I want my my spokesperson to be a reflection of the of the person's office and, and i think she does a good job of that and that's why you know you can't tell me they didn't know about this they knew about this they don't care it doesn't matter to them they are uh they, they know that they're not going to be held account for it uh charlie you know there's people that get themselves in trouble i mean we know you grant we know schwarzenegger got caught with his uh housekeeper yeah uh bill clinton gets caught in deposing and we so what happens is you need a crisis manager. There's no good answer, but you have a strategy. One strategy is I admit it, I was wrong. No, number three strategy is I never did it. Well, that's problematic. Right. Number three is explain yourself. Right. So let's hear how she explains these tweets. <laughs> Cut one. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. why would So let's then? let's be really clear that. That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. That's not even. I mean, that's the she point. Didn't that even was, say voting rights. Right, right. So that's not even an option. Making right. up what you did right. in writing. Yeah, but I mean, uh, think about it. And and uh, you know, uh, you know, coming at, at politics from the perspective of a, of a of a you know somebody who's been in newspapers forever. There is a a a, um, a laziness and um, softness that comes when you have the media on your side all the time. You you're never you know the one thing I'll, I will say about Republican spokespeople is that they are forced to bring their A game every single day because they get challenged on everything. They could be talking about how the sun is going to rise tomorrow and they're going to get challenged about it, and it makes them sharper and better. Among Democrats, especially with this administration, the guy didn't even have to campaign. He sat in his basement for a campaign, which, of course, John Fetterman is trying to to repeat that. And we now know what happens when you elect somebody from their basement. But but this is you know, they get they get no sharpness. Mm -hmm. They get no uh, they're never forced to answer real questions. And then you wind up with somebody like KGP. So just on on that note. Uh, the president of the United States, even on Twitter, didn't do as much. I didn't listen to the whole speech, but didn't do as much on Friday night. The former president of the United States talked about 2020. Yeah. Uh, but if he was going to talk about 2020 in a way that I think would resonate, my humble opinion would be the FBI sitting on a story and Pfizer sitting on a vaccine. Yeah. And, and how would that have changed how people voted? And that now the fact is the FBI, you, you have much more developments. Tony Bobulinski being interviewed by five out for five hours. And his point man was none other than Tim Tebold, the soon-to-be-disgraced FBI agent. Right. 
No, and, and all of those things are the the reason people like you and me are still outraged about the, the way 2020 played out. The problem with those, uh, with, with, you know, the, the Trump rallies are they're carnivals. They're, it's a it's a big it's circus. It's it's so much fun, and and the crowd loves this stuff. And he goes into it, and he gets into it, and and you know, and, and the problem, of course, is it allows the media who despise him to focus on. Uh, the things that, that you know, whatever they want to focus on. When you give two hours of an interview and then allow the media to to, to edit it down to one soundbite, they're not going to pick the one that's that's best for you. But that crowd and, was pretty amazing, especially oh, as it compared to Monday's crowd with the president, the sitting president of the United States. Yeah. No, he uh, still had no, the, no. The, the idea. I mean, I, I don't see anybody on either side of the aisle right now that has the kind of enthusiasm. That Trump has right now, right, and he has had all along, and and all of the arguments, it's it's weird. All of the arguments for Trump in 2016, I I think are are still in play today. Obviously, you've got a much better bench around him. You've got other Republicans who I think are very who have tapped into it and have have picked up the issues that Trump brought to the table. Um, and then, and then, of course, you also on the other side of the aisle, you have the same situation where you have all of the elements that made Joe Biden the nominee in 2020 are still in play, and you know it, it's like we're sort of locked in 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 Groundhog Day, right? I, you know, are, are Democrats really going to go to Bernie Sanders? No, they're not. Who are they going to go to? I don't know who they're going to go. Yeah, to. Yeah, they don't have. A, I mean, Gavin Newsom would be the guy, but he's not going to take on. Uh, the president, he's got a terrible record in California. He's he looks like somebody who would cast as the president, but knowing right. what he's done, he's totally inept. Bad mayor. His us- own family moved to Florida because they couldn't stand the I way that yeah. the way the way their son-in-law was running the state during COVID. So a friend of mine was gave from, to DeSantis, gave uh, money to DeSantis. Uh, a friend of mine from Axios was at the rally, who's been at many rallies before. He said this to me uh, for for Trump. The rally was fascinating. The energy, the anger is extremely high post-raid. I can't see anybody taking the nomination from DJT. So that is somebody who's not dug in. But Pompeo's in Iowa. It says he's got a team in Iowa. I think Tom Cotton's moving forward. And I heard from a pretty good source yesterday, DeSantis announces in January. Yeah, so – and and here's the thing about – you know, and obviously Republicans have a great field uh, of of options – all of whom have tremendous futures, whether it's Pompeo or DeSantis or Christy Nome or any of these. Nikki Haley. Any of these people. Um, the, the problem is that – and we're kind of seeing it play out right now with something like this raid. So it, it's not enough to be right on all the issues. At some point, you, you know, you're, you're going into a knife fight with people who don't play by rules. And, and you know, when you look back at the four years that Trump was in the White House – it's remarkable the things that he managed to get done. But people think it's, Trump is the only one who's going to get that type of blitz. Are they wrong? Oh, I think – no, I think the – I do think they're wrong. I think the reason that they go after – that they have gone after Trump like this is it's not because he's some sort of radical. It's not because he can be uh, uh, vulgar. It's because he's effective. It's because he's a centrist. 
It's, he's not a conservative. He's never been a conservative. He's just common sense, middle of the road, yeah. and appeals to Democrats. And he's not an extremist. That's what makes the MAGA argument so ridiculous, right? And because... they and, and they try to portray him as an extremist exactly because he's not an extremist, which makes him a threat to both parties. Yeah, and that's why they despise him. And so, so I, you know, I, I think that that yeah, they're gonna they hate Trump more than they hate anybody else. But that's only because Trump is effective. I think that if a guy like Ron DeSantis comes along and is a, manages to be as effective as Trump is, and I don't know that, that you know the jury's still out on, on that uh, on a on a national stage. But if if he does, they're gonna. The, the, if you're making stuff up about somebody, then you can make it up about anybody. Yeah. Granted. Trump sort of plays into it because he engages yeah. and he wants to like pick. He makes some unforced errors too. He, yeah. Yes, of course. And but we, but but among those unforced errors is part of the guy's magic that that he he's willing to go after people about these things. Charlie heard uh, in a matter of moments. When we come back, Charlie, I want to bring up the Mar-a-Lago raid with the Washington Post wrote about last night and what the why the special master has the Department of Justice. Uh, beside himself. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming up shortly, Rich Lowry. Not that he's better than Charlie Hurd. And if he was, I wouldn't say it in front of him. Uh, and then Frank Siller. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Merrick Garland stood before the American people and he said, we will speak through our filings, not through leaks. And yet it's been one salacious, manipulated, fabricated leak after another. And if he cared, which he doesn't, but if he cared at all about justice in America, he would be impaneling a grand jury tonight to investigate the leakers in his own agency who are the ultimate perversion of justice in America. Well, uh, Stephen Miller on Laura Ingram last night responding to the revelation in the Washington Post that highly classified documents were held at Mar-a-Lago and they contained foreign nuclear secrets that only a cabinet-level official or higher could authorize. One thing, Eric, we had Marco Rubio answer this right at the last block of Fox and Friends. He said that that's a ridiculous statement because uh, there are certain things that are, are classified and ultra-classified and he was never even briefed, and he was in the ga- he's in the Gang of Eight. Charlie Hurts here. Charlie, Washington Post gets this story one day after a special master is named by a judge that Trump appointed. Is there panic at the Department of Justice for this to leak out? I know it's totally irresponsible to do it. Yeah, I think that uh, it's certainly a problem for them. And um, but I but again, you know, I, I've I've gotten to the point where I am so cynical about all of it. I don't think that they care. I really don't think Who that they care. I don't think DOJ cares. I really don't. I think that they are um, that, that they are prosecuting a case. And, and, and you know, well, the they, special master threw them off. 
because now they got to answer to them and slow down and, and not touch documents. They thought they had run of the place. Uh, but I, but I, again, I'm very. Uh, it, it, to, to me, this is a little bit like uh, re- you know releasing the redacted version of the affidavit. Um, I'm I'm not really convinced uh, that that this is going to 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 lead to um, more justice or clarity, given the g- given the larger situation, given given the zeal with which they are clearly trying to pursue Trump. To, and I believe that they're going for an indictment in order to for, for political purposes. Um, but the uh, no, but 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 you know whether you know these leaks, I think, are perfectly indicative of of the politicization of this investigation. Right. And 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 not only and and you know at one point they you know there was talk that in the, the documents contained crossfire hurricane uh, records that Trump was trying to preserve. In order to defend himself against this DOJ in back going back as far as 2016, well, the the flip side of that is those documents are not only important to Donald Trump in defending himself against the DOJ; they're also important to DOJ because they reveal a lot of really bad things that DOJ did in 2016. Whether it's lying about thing, lying on official. Efforts to spy on the Trump campaign, or actually spying on somebody running for office, or um, you know, so 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 the, the idea that Trump is the only one that has sort of a, a vested interest in those documents, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty frightening actually to think about. Uh, no doubt about it. I think a couple of things are happening. Number one, Trump makes a lot of things a lot easier on himself. He just says, "Hey guys, these are the boxes I want. Make sure I can take them." You know, whatever reason, I want them from my library, I want them from my archives, I want them in case a case is brought up against me. Uh, that would have helped. Number two, you could solve this problem forever, and it should be. Before a president leaves, uh, have National Archives, a, a mutual officer come out and just and just go over stuff. Just say, listen, you could take this, you can't take that. Done. This is this is a controversy because of their lack of procedure and not saying necessarily the White House. There should be a National Archives procedure there. And they go, Trump goes, yeah, I need these. Mark Meadows says, I need these six boxes. Archives looks at him, goes, I'd like to push back on this. And then you get an arbitrator to decide who gets it. And we don't have Charlie Hurt and Brian Kilmeade aren't talking about this. Yeah. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about crime. We're talking about the border. All disasters. But I, I'm willing to acknowledge that, that, that this is a, a, a breakdown of procedures, e- even on the part of President Trump. I'm sure that he took some records. I, I, I would not be surprised if we find out that records he took, he did not. He was not supposed to take. No doubt about it. That's the, you know there. There's a lot of um, imprecision that goes on in an administration like Donald Trump's. But the idea that that you are it's going to become such a federal case that the FBI raids the private home, goes through the former first lady's underwear drawer and in order sons. to take their and there's a, to, in order to take their passports. This is nuts. This is lunacy. This is third world banana republic That's stuff. That's why what's a big deal. Special masters can make it better. Just go through it. Give the president back. You his, have more faith than I do. Give the president back his tax stocks, uh, tax stuff. Give him back his uh, passport uh, and give him back everything.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But he knows that I've been, from day one, empathetic to his condition. As a physician who's dealt with stroke and heart failure, I know how challenging it can be to bounce back. But the reality is you haven't expressed yourself in any capacity about what these debates are going to look like. I mean, share with me what I can do to help you debate. What concessions need to be made? I'd love to consider them, talk them through. My goal and yours, John Fetterman, should be to educate the people of Pennsylvania. But it undermines democracy, and he doesn't even want to answer questions from the press and from the voters. And democracy is built on us asking difficult questions of each other to really figure out where the truth lies. And by the way, that was the case. You don't win unless you talk and make yourself available until President Biden won by not being available. But that had everything to do with the pandemic. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, wrote about this uh, in the National Review, where he talked about Fetterman and his condition. The guy was unruly. He did win his nomination, even getting a stroke. But after the stroke, he has not been the same. Rich, it's flat out. Nobody thinks he's the same after a stroke. Can he even do the job? Should that matter? Yeah, well, of course it should matter, and that's a real question. I think Oz, what he said there, made a lot of sense, and the tone was perfect. I think his campaign has struggled a little bit to get the the tone right on this because occasionally they've seen overly sarcastic or mocking of Fetterman. You know, it's not his his fault that he had a, a stroke, and everyone should want him to recover as quickly as possible. But he has trouble talking. We we've seen that. You know, he's been back out on the campaign trail for very brief appearances, but he oftentimes garbles his words, and he can't understand the spoken word. Um, necessarily. He uses closed captioning, you know, to do Zoom interviews with the press. So that's the reason why a a debate would be so hard for him. But that's the reason why also doing the job would be so hard for him. I mean, the the cynical view of a senator is all a senator does is talk, right? (laughs) But but obviously a huge part of the job is talking on the Senate floor, at press conferences, at hearings, to constituents, and, and listening as well. And and he would uh, maybe he'll he'll be totally back up to snuff in two months, three months, six months, a year. But we don't know at the moment. I, I don't think he'd be able to do the job effectively. So I want to tell you in response, this is what the Fetterman camp said to Dr. Oz, who said this guy's not available. He doesn't make sense. And he is his schedule is so light. It doesn't seem like he can do it. He said just yesterday, John marched for over two hours in the rain in Pittsburgh, I Labor Day Parade, and spoke at two other events afterwards. Anyone who says John spent to speak to anyone seen John speak knows that while he's still recovering, he's more capable of fighting for Pennsylvania than Dr. Oz will ever be. And anyone who's seen Dr. Oz speak knows he's a complete fraud. We have seen repeatedly that we are up, uh, up to we're open to debating Oz, and we're talking about the talking to the network. And let's be clear, this isn't about debates. This is about mocking John for having a stroke. Because they got nothing else, because they don't want to talk about the fact that Oz wants to ban abortion and believe it's a, uh, a, a form of murder. So, first off, it's hard to have empathy when your camp, when the campaign that you're showing empathy for uh, attacks you personally continuously. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much yeah, been effective so far. But it's also yeah. it's sobering because you got to go back to the other guy and then let not people think that you're not cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's possible, and I, and I think that clip was a, was a great example of how it's possible. But yeah, look, Fetterman, the campaign has been based almost entirely on mockery of Oz on social media because Fetterman hasn't been out there. And if they're maintaining that that Fetterman, you know, is is back close to where he was, do do a live TV interview on set. 
you know, we, we, he did an interview on MSNBC, but it was it was via remote, and I just wonder whether he had notes or, or prompts. Uh, and do the debate, you know, do 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 the debate. And um, I just I doubt they they are going to do it. I think it's too hard for him. And I do think this now this is an issue that has tra- traction. You know, Oz's polling looks a little better. There are those horrifying double-digit numbers that he was down by during the summer. It's tightened up four or five points. And I think that this this uh, this line of attack has traction. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, talk about Blake Masters also trying to get uh, Mark Kelly on stage. The astronaut, who I thought had so much promise, and I thought, wow, Democrats got themselves a great candidate. What a great resume. What he's given to the country. And he's so smart. And he's been invisible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the case of he's ahead and he doesn't want to mess anything up. And Blake Masters is underfunded. You know, he's caught now in this uh, dispute between Mitch McConnell and Peter Thiel. Or Mitch McConnell's like, well, you fund him. You know, he's your guy. Um, and and also they seem to be reallocating the, uh, um, the outside groups to uh, fund fund for funding elsewhere. You know, J.D. Vance, who's been underfunded as well. So Masters is in a lot of trouble, and I'm I'm not hopeful about that. That you don't think it's a three-point race. I, I kind of doubt it. You know, maybe it is. If, if it is, fantastic. Um, I'll take it. And it's, that speaks to, you know, an environment that's maybe still favor, more favorable to Republicans than, than we're hearing about in the press. But I, I, it's, it's down my list. You know, I, th- I, think, Oz, I think Oz is going to win before Blake Masters does. Here's Blake Masters yesterday with Laura Cut 12. What I think we're seeing is propaganda. This is the media's desired narrative. They are trying to make this election all about abortion. The Democrats, Mark Kelly in Arizona, he wants to just talk about abortion because they don't want to talk about the wide open southern border. They don't want to talk about double digit inflation. They don't want to talk about how our kids are being taught transgender ideology in our schools. You know, they don't want to talk about their failure. So they're trying to gin up outrage on the abortion issue. And I just don't believe that that is going to be the issue. Uh, But maybe the border is. What do you know about Arizona? What can we expect from Arizona this time around? Well, one that's a that's a, another that's a good answer, and he, he caught a, a lot of flack for adjusting his website and his position on abortion. I think appropriately, you, he had a uh, a website that was kind of a pre-Dobbs website, and he had a, a pre-Dobbs position on abortion that was more symbolic than defensible once it became a real live political issue. So this is what I think all Republicans should do: P- pick a you know just gestational age that you think is defensible and, and appropriate, and and stick your flag there, defend that position, and shoot at the other side for distracting from other issues the way Masters uh, did and or being extremists because they all support abortion, you know, up to nine months and want to federally fund it. Um, and, you know, the border is going to play in, in Arizona. But, again, I just think that that one is um, – that's, that's, that's the – you know, the, the four toss-up races, that, that might be the one I'm most pessimistic about. So when you look at the president's attack plan against uh, – to win in the midterms, it would be ultra-maga, maga, Trumpers, Trumpies. Uh, so whatever he wants to do, he wants to do it. Then he finds himself walking things back in between appearances. Uh, the word is that Joe Biden's doing this himself. This is what he wanted to do, make Trump the enemy, <laughs> thinks this is the best thing to do. Is it effective because we're not talking about we're not talking about the border. We're not talking about crime. We're not talking about uh, Afghanistan. 
I think so. I think it's it's uh, probably the best play they have. You know, hit abortion, and and that that issue has had more traction than I than I would have thought so far. Talk about Trump to try to get the the media to take the bait, and talk about you know that instead of any other issues, and do anything else you can to try to gin up your base, which obviously they've been doing the last several months with the student loan forgiveness being the most prominent example. And I, I still I don't think it's going to save them. But um, I, I think they've they've made some progress. I think they'll still lose the House, and I, I would still bet on Republicans winning the Senate. Although it is that's a bit of a coin toss. But if Republicans are in a position, if they just have they don't need a red wave, you know, if they have a standard midterm kind of election, pick up 20, 25 House seats, you know, that will be the, the biggest majority Republicans have had in a very long time, and win one. Uh, Senate seat, you, you've taken the Senate, so the the bar is not particularly high to uh, end Democratic control of Washington. Well, you got to hold the Wisconsin, and you yep. have to hold Pennsylvania, and you yep. have to hold Ohio, and you have to find a way to get one more seat. And maybe maybe it is Arizona, maybe it is possibly Washington State. Other people point to Colorado. Uh, Rich, what are you thinking? Yeah, those those are sort of second tier, but people should pay attention to Washington State. That's an interesting one. Colorado, too. They're not the top of the list. Nevada, I think Republican uh, Adam Laxalt is going to win in Nevada. And I still think Herschel, although, you know, it's been rocky, he's not going to be, you know, um, a a, uh, LBJ type in the Senate, you know, master of the Senate, obviously, is not a a huge policy guy. I think he's a good man. Um, But I I think he's going to barely get over the top in, in Georgia, in part on Brian Kemp's uh, coattails. Um, and, and that, you know, assuming you win Wisconsin and that's, that's, you know, that's touch and go, but, uh, Ron Johnson's done it before. Um, that, that should be enough, you know, even if Oz loses Pennsylvania. Yeah, I hear you. It's going to be interesting and, but definitely 60 plus days. Lastly, anytime you're talking about MAGA agenda and not talking about crime, the border mm-hmm. and, uh, inflation, I think Republicans are losing. Should they Agreed. find a way to do that? Yeah, I mean, just just pivot and and hit it, and don't take the bait. You know, the the FBI search. Let let uh, let Trump litigate it. D- don't get into it yourself, and talk about the issues. At the end of the day, are the issues that people really care about, and that's the advantage I think still Republicans have here is the the the, the most important issues to to people, the kitchen table type issues, the, the things that have them fearful and have degraded their quality of life. Republicans have a big advantage on. So just hit those things as as hard as you can, and I I still think this will be a good election for them. Uh, I do think uh, it's going to be definitely going to be exciting, and I think strategy will have everything to do with what comes out in the end. And the better candidate wins. doesn't mean necessarily the most experienced. The better candidate speaks uh, most authentically. Uh, We'll see it out there. It's a long job interview. Rich Lauer will be writing it all on the Nash Nash Review and, of course, coming on our show. Rich, thanks. Cool. Thanks so much, Brian. When we come back, it's been 21 years since the 9-11 attacks. Frank Siller doesn't forget. I know you don't forget. We want to make sure the rest of America doesn't forget. So it's got an exciting program to announce. CEO of Tunnels and Towers Foundation in studio in a matter of moments. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's coming up on 21 years since the 9-11 attacks, and that, that never slips the mind of Frank Siller, the CEO of Tunnels and Towers Foundation. 
uh, you can visit T2T.org, especially this time of year, and prove that you don't forget. Uh, but one thing about Tunnel to Towers, Frank, you guys never stop expanding. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe what you were talking about this morning. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're proud to announce that Tunnel to Towers, we have a new initiative, the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute. Right. Um, we're going to make sure that schools throughout the country have a curriculum to be to to teach these new generation kids that know nothing about 9-11. It's important. Our first mission at the Tunnel to Towers is to make sure we never forget and honor the sacrifice uh, that was made 21 years ago. And uh, this is a, a new thing. Uh, look, we have a 9-11 exhibit that goes around the country. It has, uh, it's a rolling exhibit, a tractor trailer. You 90- mean Tunnels and Towers does? Yes. It's 93 feet, and uh, it rolls. It becomes an 1,100-square-foot uh, museum. Uh, we, we make sure that goes all around. It's manned by firefighters that were there on 9-11, and they tell the story of 9-11. Do they we, go to schools? Exactly. Or? They go okay. to a lot of schools, different fairs. You know, you can go to T2T.org and, and, and look at it. You can request it uh, for an event. Um, and uh, it's an important tool to make sure that we, uh, that we teach uh, all the acts of heroism on 9-11. So you were shocked at how few commemorations there were in schools and how many schools have that as part of your curriculum. So that's what prompted this action, correct? Absolutely. It, when when uh, we found out that only 16 states uh, mandate teaching something about 9-11, not even a curriculum, just something, and only three states from K through 12 mandate a curriculum to be taught I was appalled. My team was appalled. We got uh, great uh, scholars together to create this uh, curriculum, and uh, we couldn't be more proud that we're uh, rolling it out. Right. 21 years later, uh, people really have to, to remember. You said like, a lot of these kids are now grown up that were had it, lived it. That was in the news. Now it becomes part of history. And I was just thinking about some of the people I've been talking to now with the evacuation of uh, of Afghanistan, the biggest disaster in American military history, single-handedly decided by this president over his military advisors, and how those people who went to Afghanistan to to get bin Laden and to make sure that uh, Al Qaeda is not there, Al Qaeda is coming back. I mean, wh- that really must hit home for you. It, Without it, them, your brother's alive. Yeah. Now, look, uh, you know, it's very upsetting because I worry about it happening again. And that's another, one of the reasons why you got to make sure that we that we never forget. You know, this year at our Tunnel to Towers run, which is always the last Sunday in September here in New York, which we retrace what my brother did 21 years ago. He ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel with his fire gear on his back to get to ground zero. We're, you know, saving others and gave up his life. We are going to recognize the 13 families that were lost, the service members that were lost in Afghanistan in the last 13. Seven of those families are going to be joining us at the run. Wow. And uh, we have a special day. Uh, and then we're also going to uh, recognize and honor the 12 horsemen that rode into Afghanistan. Um, they did a movie on it. 12 strong. Yeah. It's incredible. And these guys were told, you know, you're not coming home. You're going to die, basically. But you're going to die for your country and you're going to go die because you're going to protect – uh, our homeland, and they volunteered to go in there to do it. You know, this Sunday uh, we have uh, a prayer service down at Ground Zero, and uh, at seven o'clock in the morning, it's it's a closed service; it's only inv- mm-hmm. invitation only. Uh, we have seven of those horsemen coming, 
wow. uh, to, to pray with us and to be there. We're going to be reading Bible scriptures, uh, a gold star widow, a 9-11 family, and uh, another family that's lost their loved one, uh, first responder from 9-11 illnesses. They're all going to read scripture um, and, and about talking about how good will overcome evil and courage, how you need courage in life in every aspect of your life. And it's going to be a very important thing because America needs to pray that we come together. Uh, and most Americans are, are, right. are, are, are together. Uh, Frank Silver here for Tunnels and Towers Foundation. Go to T2T.org. You can read about the organization, all the things you're involved with, and you know you need their support. That's how they're fueled. But you expanded. Now it's about also police officers' families, right? And you made that clear a few years ago when you saw what was going on in this country, the disrespect towards the men and women in blue. And uh, that's not easy to, to keep up with because the numbers are way too high. So um, You pay this, off their mortgages. We pay off their mortgages. So since Texas Lou and Ramos... December 20th, 2014, when they were assassinated in New York City in their car, uh, I went to visit them with former mayor Rudy Giuliani on Christmas Eve, and I told them we're going to pay off their mortgages because we heard they were worried about staying in their home. I saw the difference that it made. And, you know, when it's the right thing to do, you have no choice. You've got to do it. And I saw it alleviate that worry about to those families. That's why in America today, Every first responder, police officer, firefighter, law enforcement, everyone, you give your life in the line of duty and you have young children left behind, we're going to pay off your mortgage. 200 last year, 200 this year, and in addition to 500 comfort homes that we're building and, and, and we're getting uh, homeless veterans off the street. So we are busy. Well. Frank, all the years of uh, noting and marking this day, it used to be just the footprints, the empty footprints was too safe to go, too unsafe to go down. Then they were just outlined. Then, then we're wondering when they're going to rebuild the area, and then, then when we're going to get this, uh, the museum that commemorates that day. I think the museum is just fantastic. It's a great commemoration of what happened. Are you pleased with the way things have have reconformed down there? Well, the museum is beautiful. It tells the whole story. The memorial with the crying pools are beautiful. It has the names of everyone who perished. Right in the footprints. With the, right in the with footprints, the right? Like in the South Town, my brother's name with other, his other Squad 1 brothers that, 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 that died uh, that day. Yes, I, I'm happy what they did, but we must never forget the sacrifice that was made, and that's what the Tunnel to Towers is there for, to make sure we never forget. And, Frank, you never stop. Uh, T2T.org. Help Frank out. Help everybody out. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We, of course, take your calls there. Uh, We are coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, David Limbaugh, the brother of Rush Limbaugh, is going to be with us in studio. He's got a great message. He's got to continue on his Christian books. Also want to talk about a year later uh, with him and what is it like with such an uh, uh, iconic figure passing away. What I think is a way too young age. We know it was uh, just over a year ago when that happened. He was a big supporter of Donald Trump along the way and maybe the, the foremost Republican uh, and conservative thinker. But for now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Everyone, 
has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. Please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. Unbelievable, right? Uh, Energy idiocy. California and cutting-edge green energy push has rolling blackouts imminent in California and a stopping of electricity usage demand. Is this our energy future, our green future? I don't think Americans will stand for it or sweat through it. Number two. Every Republican should put the word Biden in front of their opponent. So it's the Biden-Warnick ticket, it's the Biden-Fetterman ticket, it's the Biden-Kelly ticket. And just make sure everybody understands, these people are all part of the same machine. 2022 is heating up as Masters tries to get Senator Kelly on the debate stage in Arizona. Dr. Oz, the same with the Bernie Sanders clone hoodie-wearing John Fetterman to get him to square off in any type of debate. And the questions continue. Is he ready to uh, be a senator after his stroke? Number one. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. Really? Election denial? Not a Donald Trump-driven threat to democracy? Evidence clear from the press, from the Biden press secretary to Stacey Abrams to Hillary Clinton? It's been a practice for decades. So why is Trump labeled an ultra-maga Trumpy extremist and they are not a threat to democracy? With me right now is a man who wants to preserve it and our history and spends a lot of time on his 1776 Project PAC. He is Ryan Gudersky. He is the founder of the 1976 Project Political Action Committee, which campaigns to stop the teaching of CRT in U.S. schools. Author of the 2020 book, They're Not Listening, uh, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. Uh, Ryan, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Ryan, wh- why is it important to preserve 1776? Right. So I started the 1776 Project back because, like many Americans throughout 2020, my family's uh, children were going to school virtually. And parents for the first time got to be in the classroom with kids as these teachers, many of them, you know, some some of them very good hearted, but the administrators were pushing very radical things on policing. My my. Nine-year-old Godson was forced to read a book called Race Cars at nine years old about how police only target black cars, not white cars, and teaching about police profiling to very, very young children and implanting this idea in their head. Um, and I always say critical race theory is not necessarily taught in school, but it's practiced in school. So we see things across the country in red counties and in blue counties, things like privilege walks, um, things like uh, now in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where white teachers are fired before black teachers are or, or any other minority teacher are. In Atlanta, Georgia, parents are now suing school districts for segregating classrooms all over the country. Now, uh, they have a non-white uh, activities after school where whites cannot participate. Things like this drive a wedge between people, between a country. And if you believe you are taught from the moment you are a small child, that this country is inherently racist, either against you or that you are part of a racist system um, because you're white, you will not want to invest in this country going forward in the future. Anything. Yeah, we won't have a country, basically. Well, I mean, we're looking at, I've been covering the last few weeks, what's going on at the Madison's home, James Madison, Madison's home in Montplier, Montplier over in uh, Virginia, as well as Monticello with Jefferson's home. They're trying to take Jefferson and and, uh, Madison and say they're made up of the slaves they had. And then we find out in the University of Virginia, some students want Jefferson's 
uh, the buildings that he designed down and his presence removed from the school he created. To me, this is so much more than than just immaturity. I think it's an intentional takedown of our foundation. Well, they want to take away our heroes. If we get rid of Columbus and Jefferson and Washington, uh, like they got rid of Robert E. Lee and, and, and members of the Confederacy, if they say every national hero we ever have is illegitimate, it becomes harder to sit there and defend the institution of the country. This is what socialists and communist movements have done across history, is one of the first things they do is they get rid of all your heroes. Teddy Roosevelt is no longer at the American History Museum in New York City. Uh, you know, when he preserved uh, uh, huge portions of, of natural wildlife in the United States, this is their mentality because they sit there and they want to rob you of anything you could possibly be proud of when it comes to the United States of America. And that's why the 1776 Project Pack, my pack. We did over 135 school board elections in the last year and a half. We flipped 95 school board wow. races. We were involved in Florida. We flipped six school districts in Florida. We flipped four in Texas. Uh, we won in we won in Blue County, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania last year, a county that has not voted Republican since George H.W. Bush. We've won six school board seats in that county. I think this is a possibility to change things because parents, regardless of their feelings of big issues like I don't know, abortion or Russia or whatever, education is a fine line where they sit there and say, you know what, I moved to this community because of the school districts. You're not going to mess with my children and the possibility of their future. And that doesn't go into the idea of merit and how these school districts are abolishing testing and standards because so school districts are too Asian or too white or too not diverse enough, and they're destroying you know, the ability to sit there and, 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 and have thriving schools. Uh, no question about it, uh, Ryan. So you targeted Florida. Where else are you targeting? We know what's happened in Virginia. That's really, to me, where it seems to have first started. Where else are you going? Where else are you focusing? So after Florida, we have 350 candidates running for school board that asked for our support and our endorsement. Big states, Virginia, Michigan, Florida, Texas, uh, Rhode Island, uh, North Carolina, and California are places we're all looking at for this November election. Illinois starts in next April, so we have our eyes set on that as well. I would hope my, – my goal is by in the next three years to have over 1,000 seats flipped across the entire country. So if you can go to 1776projectpack.com, donate to the pack if you can, or if you're running for school board, tell us where you're running if you want to apply for an endorsement, or if you just know of things happening in your school district that seem fishy or weird or that they're promoting critical race theory in some way, we'd love to hear about it because we love to highlight that and promote it so the general public, public knows about it. So when they first started with Columbus, as far as I can remember, let's take Columbus' statue down. You know, he didn't treat the... Uh, the uh, Indians that he found in the Caribbean too well. And we don't like how he ruled once he discovered America, which, by the way, he changed the world. Uh, People have described what he did and the risks he took as like going to the moon the first time, only more dangerous. But let's go demean him and go, well, what's the big deal about Columbus? He never actually made it to America anyway. Then all of a sudden they said, well, wait, we had a problem with Confederate statues. Okay, Robert E. Lee, one of our best generals, made a terrible decision. I got it. And they even took him out of West Point. They go, well, that's where it stops. And Donald Trump came out and said, Donald, these uh, Jefferson and Washington are big slave owners. Well, are they next? And everyone laughed. No, they're not next. They are next. And, right. that, and, and that, you know they're coming. They're coming for them. 
Right. And you know what the funny thing is? is I mean, Trump was 100 percent right. But when they sit there and talk about Columbus, the biggest irony is they speak about Native Americans as if it was Woodstock and everyone was performing peace, love and dancing around trees when human sacrifice was the standard. Pre-Christian America, Columbus and, and the Spanish and then the French and English bringing Christianity actually saved millions of Native American lives. Yes, diseases came, but anyone who discovered America would have brought diseases because they were just un, of course, you know, un, immune. Uh, uh, but, but nonetheless, but they stopped human sacrifice. They stopped child sacrifice. They stopped cannibalism. Cannibalism was widely practiced throughout the uh, throughout the now what is the United States, but all of North America by Native American tribes. The idea and the idea that for some reason white people were the only ones who practiced slavery, which is the broad thinking. And for some reason, human beings since the beginning of time have all practiced some of the same things. Uh, they all start, set up all their own government, their own religion, and they all practice slavery for some right. reason. This is a dark thing that the human race did, not just whites on blacks and not just you know whites on Native Americans, but they, it is, they have to demonize right. members of the past to sit there and, and want to wipe them clean and start their new uh, Marxist revolution, really. So, you know, one thing I started doing, I, I wrote these history books in uh, George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now the President Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. And what I did is when I found out, when I went on book tours and went to events, anything, I found people relieved. They said, no one's teaching history anymore. My kids aren't learning it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's interesting with Washington. By the time I get up to Jackson, they go, they're teaching anti-American history. So in the beginning, they were just forgetting about it, not going into detail about it, saying kids don't care about it. And then they start putting against it. So now I put together these shows. In fact, the next one's going to be in uh, Albany tomorrow. Uh, America great from the start. And I don't pretend that we're perfect. If I did that, that would be that be as bad as pretending that American history is terrible. I talk about the stops and starts and why we are the greatest country ever and why you should be proud that these are the people that came before you. Um, and I found that people are relieved. They, they instead of saying, you know, instead of saying, hey, can I be they just say thank you. Thank you for not ripping America. It's even gotten into sports. We have to watch sports now and wonder why they're kneeling or uh, why they're not coming out for the national anthem again. And I think it's embarrassing to a degree. You can't get away from it. But very few people, Ryan Gudersky, do what you did, and that's found the 1776 pack to fight back against it. So I give you so much credit. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And, you know, it is absolutely true. And the scary thing is, is, yeah, they're in history and they're in civics and they're in sports, but they're coming up to the hard sciences next. They're coming after Matt. There's, there's at the University of Illinois at Champlain. One of the professors teaches about how to create Latinx, which is out, you know, for their their made up version of Latino Latinx uh, math and black math and black science and feminist science. And this is how they want to really transform. Are you the kidding? Hard sciences. I've not you know, heard this. Not, she's an she's an award winning professor. I forgot her name off my head. University of Illinois at Champlain. Um, and this is – they are coming into the hard sciences next. There is no end to this revolution. It's not just stopping. It is the fundamental fight against all beliefs that come from liberalism and West well, – small l liberalism, liberalism and Western civilization. And this is – we are really in a huge, huge fight, and it really starts at the school. So there are a few people in this fight. I'm one of them. I'm proud to be one of them. I think I've done a very, very good job. But we're only at the beginning. It took – 
oh, decades to get to this point. It's going to take a couple of years to fight back and get and push back fully. But we're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing teachers who are, who are woke and leftists leave school districts when 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 we flip when we flip the seats uh, or when we won uh, you know the Oklahoma superintendent race in in Oklahoma for Ryan Walters when we flipped school districts throughout Florida. These these very woke people who are in education not to sit there and teach kids. But to put, make them soldiers in their ideology, they are leaving the profession, and that's our ultimate goal: is to sit there and make it where kids go to school for the hardcore things, and they learn. Yes, America is not a perfect nation, but what who other is? nation's yeah. legacy would you want to belong to? And Ryan, lastly, are there any Democrats who see the wisdom in your ways? Yeah, I mean, listen, we we could not win in these Democrat in these Democrat districts if Democrats did not vote for us as well. In Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in Kansas City, throughout uh, in Hennepin County, outside of Minneapolis, we won districts. They're, they're, Democrats, too, do not want their kids going to failing schools, and they don't want their kids going to schools where there's no specialized standards. And Asian and Hispanic parents especially do not want their kids to be told they're victims or they can't get ahead. Uh, he is Ryan Guderski, uh, founder of the 1776 Project, the Political Action Committee, uh, and help him out. Uh, Ryan, thanks for what you do. We'll be in touch. Thank you. You got it. Hey, when we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you up there, one 408 And by the way, if you want to join me in Albany for 1776 night, uh, just go to briankillme.com. I'll be at this, this legendary, this iconic egg uh, auditorium, which looks awesome. Uh, inside and out. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Again, we go back to people talking about the state of mind of the agents when they got in there, if that's even true. What's the only reason to do that? If you're conducting a serious investigation, you don't hear anything about these investigations. The Justice Department won't even acknowledge that someone is under investigation or not under investigation. If someone's being investigated, you ask the Justice Department to say it's not true, they won't do it. They won't do it either way. They won't comment, especially something that involves a former president. And yet, in this particular case, every single day, someone in the Justice Department is leaking. Why would you leak? There's only one reason to leak this stuff, and that is to create a narrative. And why do you create a narrative? For political purpose. So every single day, they are proving that they are politicizing this by what they are doing, as as opposed to allowing the pleadings and the case to work its way through and speak for itself. Senator Marco Rubio joined me on Fox & Friends earlier, and he was asked, too, about the new revelation of the Washington Post, that there is... There was a nuclear plans of one country in particular that were taken to Mar-a-Lago. And you said, listen, the fact that you say it's a top secret negotiation, you fight so hard to keep away from a special master that you took his personal tax documents and health records out and his passport out. You went into his 16 year old's room. And then when a special master is named, you're so ticked off. You go ahead and leak another story to The Washington Post. If it's so concerning, why are you so determined to get the narrative from the very compliant media? And that's his point. It's not that should Donald Trump have taken this stuff. Likely not. I don't know the details because for the most part, the Trump team doesn't really answer. They shouldn't. 
And for the most part, we always heard FBI doesn't talk about ongoing investigations. But if you read the New York Times and Washington Post, you get what they think is the story. So there is uh, some revelations that came out that is some top secret things. But for you to put together that picture of all the so-called documents that are documents that don't belong at Mar-a-Lago, and then the pushback from the special master saying he does retain, uh, excuse me, for the judge who names the special master, which certainly will be appealed by the Department of Justice. The special master is supposed to be an agreed-upon person to unbiasedly look at all the material and decide what belongs, what's okay to keep, what's okay not to keep. And then you go, and if you decide you want to charge a former president for that, good luck. All right? You talk about dividing the country. Uh, even William Barr, who's been very critical of the president, they're at odds now, said, yeah, I wouldn't recommend you prosecute. And when Senator Lindsey Graham said what he said, he wasn't threatening violence if Donald Trump is indicted. What he's saying is the obvious. If you go ahead as the DOJ under Joe Biden, who's saying the most disparaging things possible about Donald Trump, and you unleash your Department of Justice to invade Mar-a-Lago and grab back paperwork, and then you want to indict that president, believe me, there are 74 million people who are not going to be pleased. I am not predicting violence, but who wouldn't think, uh, after what we've seen in the past, this is not getting out of control because people are on the edge when it comes to politics. Even people who never even cared before, it's now personal. That's what I've noticed. When we come back, somebody doesn't have to explain. That fact does not have to be explained to. This whole family has lived it. David Limbaugh joins us along with Kristen Limbaugh. Together they wrote a book called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. We'll also about politics and everything else going on in the world. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think the natural spirit uh, of the human being is freedom. That's the natural spirit of our creation. That's the yearning that we have is to be free. And conservatism is simply freedom. Nobody can blow up that bond that Trump voters have. The Washington establishment to this day does not understand. Donald Trump. They don't understand his voters, and they're not curious to find out why. I've always been oriented uh, on the on the conservative side of things. Never, ever wavered, was never tempted by anything else. We're Americans, which means we have the freedom to invest in whatever it is that makes us happy. That's in our founding documents. Well, that is a little Rush Limbaugh from the special he had. He's such a presence, too. And, and for, if you're on radio... You always try to live up to that, but I have news for you. You never will. Uh, David Limbaugh knows that. He's in our studio along with his daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom, who is a new mom. Uh, Kristen, it's great to see you. I've, I've never seen you with the headsets on, but I've seen you in the building for the longest time. You still work with Sean, right? I do, yes, and it's wonderful to be here. And now you had a wonderful time working with your dad on the resurrected Jesus, the church in the New Testament. Uh, David, is it was it as great as it seems to be, before we talk about your, your brother and, and your uncle, to work with your daughter? Unbelievable. I mean, it's a kind of a dream that I've had. She has been so spirit-filled as a Christian and such an inspiration to me uh, in her faith, and much earlier than I ever did it, uh, that I, and she started writing for Fox, the website, and, and she's started her own website, Haploose, or however you pronounce it, you guys, you weird <laughs> names. And uh, I, just, I just thought, you know what? 
this might help jumpstart her writing career. I'd like to help her with this because you she, know she's a good writer, awesome writer. Yeah, this isn't this isn't uh, you know benefits for no reason. It's 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 just she actually made this book so much better than my previous books, and I thought those were pretty good, by the way. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know they were great. And, and Kristen, in in particular for you. Did you grow up religious? Did you grow up in a household where we're going to church every Sunday? And Yes. Um, mom and dad always raised us with a strong foundation in Christianity, prayed with us every night. And um, so I always had a foundation of faith. But when I went to college, you know, you kind of uh, stray a little bit. You're trying to find yourself and um, you ask yourself of what you've been taught as a young person is what you truly believe for yourself. And for me, I, I did discover that, that, um, and my faith became very personal and I really started to see Jesus working in my life on a personal level. Um, I started reading the Bible and saying, wow, he's speaking directly into my life. And so I had that revelation. Um, and since then he's continued to work in my life. And so to have the opportunity to share this with dad and combine our, um, different giftings and passions within the faith has been um, such a gift and so fun. Well, I can imagine. So we take this on. There are biblical scholars who take on topics like this. Uh, you said you came to this religious side of you late. It wasn't yeah. early because Rush didn't really have uh, the the knowledge of the Bible that you had. No. And he didn't bring that to the show anyway. <clears throat> yeah, and he, he didn't study it that much. Um, and so it was not that he wasn't faithful, it's that he felt, I'm not going to talk about something I'm not really an expert on. That's what he would always tell me. But, you know, in the years before his death, after his diagnosis, he became closer and closer to God, and and I am absolutely convinced of his salvation, and that's uh, pretty gratifying. Well, first, let's talk, let's talk about this, and we'll talk about Rush yeah. after this. So you decide to tackle what with this book? You You go through Paul, and what was Paul doing that you feel need to be chronicled? Well, the first, I've written four Christian books before this. First one, My Faith Journey, Jesus on Trial. Second one, The Emmaus Code, Jesus in the Old Testament, the prophecies and all that. The third one was The uh, True Jesus, which was a consolidation of the Gospels in chronological order, going through the text. The fourth was Jesus is Risen, which was the Book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, and the first seven I mean, six epistles of the Apostle Paul. And what we what I did was go through the text, the chapter and verse, the Bible, literally, verse by verse, kind of paraphrase and sometimes using the actual words of the Bible, interspersing it with commentary uh, and my own insights. But this book is the, the final six epistles that Paul wrote. So I wanted to complete that, and that's what she joined me on. Now, the, the thing about it is, the, the, the whole purpose of this, these books is to draw people closer to the Bible, so they'll read the Bible So themselves. it's not to impress the next biblical scholar. It's no. to ground it to the everyman. Yes. That's right. And every woman. That's right. Because, <laughs> no, exactly, because we are not scholars. I'm a lay student. She's a lay student. And I found that when I taught Sunday school and all that, I could really convey points. I, 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 it, the fact that I was an early skeptic. Uh, and I came to this kicking and screaming, I think enabled me to better communicate to people who are in my position right. and, and young Christians and they're early in their walk. I can communicate in a way that the 
scholar, the theologian, the pastor may not be able. I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm just saying it's a different audience. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a, and and Kristen's so good at this too. And it just it was very complimentary. So Kristen, did Paul write things down? Yes. So he oh, well, wrote, he dictated as well. So okay. To his understanding. So did, is your goal to interpret what he was doing? So his goal was to spread Christianity through Europe. Yes. Well. His goal was really to spread it through Europe and Asia too. And Asia as well. And um I think what's so powerful about Paul is that he had he had, was so passionate about spreading the gospel all over the the globe and then he gets stuck in a prison cell and he's under house arrest when he's writing these letters to For all doing these, what? Um, for preaching the gospel. And so he's under arrest and he is writing these letters to different churches, trying to encourage them, trying to beseech them, um, to correct them and teach them all the different things that Christ is trying to fix in these different churches, these modern churches. And what's so incredible is the way that God used these words that he's writing in prison. He's being confined, and yet now they are some of the most powerful books of the Bible that really resonate with people all over the world. And so it just goes to show that God can do, um, actually this is a verse in the letter to the Ephesian church, more than all we ask or imagine beyond our wildest imagination when we submit our ways to him. And um, Paul's life exemplifies that. So uh, with that, did he witness the resurrection? No, no. He was was a very uh, orthodox Jew, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he called himself. And he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christianity, which makes him an unlikely uh, candidate for being the greatest evangelist. Jesus encountered him on the Damascus Road, presented himself. So he knew who Jesus was. He met him. He met him Mm -hmm. face to face in a spiritual context. So what converted him? That very experience, Jesus hit him with a lightning bolt, figuratively, on the Damascus Road. He was on his way to persecute, kill, and imprison Christians. And Jesus hit him uh, and, and, and approached him there in a, in a dramatic way. And then he went, went on to Damascus and, and was converted. And uh, so for him, so he became an apostle. Yes. He, he was the, the 13th. You know, he was... Uh, not part of the original people that that walked alongside Jesus during his life didn't even didn't make it, the cut for the last supper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but he ended up being the most um, the most uh, effective evangelist. But he wrote thirteen books, epistles in the Bible, and his influence, especially doctrinally. I mean, he he lays out Christian doctrine in the Book of Romans and Ephesians better than any other. Uh, biblical writer, in my view, John is amazing too. But this in the Gospels, but he tells of what Jesus said. Paul uh, really uh, is inspiring in these words. Mm-hmm. So, do you feel like you're almost going through history as well as going through uh, the Bible? Do you feel like you're going through history, Kristen, when you're going when you're I, going through this? I do, and especially with writing this book alongside dad because he's such a thorough researcher and he taught me his process. And so um, going through the different scholars and really reading every single line and verse over and over, reading the background to these, uh, the historical background to these letters has um, been so enriching and it really helps you understand the text in a new way. And it also helps you apply it to your own life because when you see that Paul was a real person and he had real uh, problems and he's still writing these things about overcoming um, 
you know, the very real threats to his own life and to the growing church at the time, it makes it all the more uh, real and inspiring for our current issues that we're facing today. And lastly, David, because I hope you could stay for another segment. Yes. Because I want to talk about what's going on in the world. You're also a lawyer. Yes. uh, Because we definitely need your legal expertise. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Kristen, I think living uh, and working with Sean, not living with Sean, excuse me, (laughs) uh, working, because you're actually in separate states now. Yeah. But actually working with Sean is what you do. You live and breathe this, and you're a producer here at Fox. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Resurrected Jesus. My my last question is to you is, uh, and both of you could answer, what do you hope people get from this that they're not able to get from their church or the books that they've read? Mm -hmm. I think the Bible is intimidating for so many people. And it's a daunting task. I don't want to open this up. Where do I begin? The the purpose of these books has always been to excite people about the Bible, to let them know the Bible really is the Word of God. When I discovered, when I had this epiphany that the Bible really is the Word of God, after studying all the evidence that it is, I realized I was holding in my hand the Word of God. Wow, God is actually talking to me. I always thought this is an old book of, uh, you know, principles and, and rules. No, it tells the story of real lives, imperfect people, and it tells the story of God's, the, God's love story for human beings. He created man. Man fell. He sent his own son to die to redeem us, to live with him for eternity. That's the best love story in the world from a perfect God to imperfect people who had his own son become a human being. And he, so he was perfectly human, perfectly God, at the same time, dual dual uh, realities and perfectly right. unified so that he could save us. And Christ suffered more than any of us ever could. We can't relate. We can't even see the invisible God. Christ is God as human. We, he will always be human in God. We will see him in heaven right. and can always relate to him and go to him with our troubles. I had a tough objective. I thought getting Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln in the same book without leaving <laughs> out personal part of the qualities. Your objective is much harder. Kristen, final thought on, on this? Um, I... Just second everything Dad said, but especially I hope people will read this and understand that the same Holy Spirit who lived inside Paul, who was so incredible, lived such an incredible life, lives inside of us when we accept Jesus. And God can do so much with our lives when we trust and believe in him. So I pray that they're encouraged to do amazing things for him. It's a readable version of the Bible. The resurrected (laughs) Jesus, David Limbaugh and Christian Limbaugh. Bloom, thanks so much. Don't move. Uh, We're going to come back more and talk about what's happening in the world and a little bit more about the book. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Conservatism has been so maligned uh, in uh, in state-run media for so many years. All we want is success for everybody. We want freedom for everybody. Uh, we understand that a great nation is made up of great people doing great things, ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things. We don't look at the American population with contempt and derision. We don't look at a group of people and pick out the number of blacks in it and the number of whites and the number of women. We see Americans. We see human beings. We see potential. Liberals look at a group of people and they see incompetence. They see people that can't overcome the obstacles of life on a government program to help them. Yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's somewhat frustrating because conservatism, I think we talked about this last time, conservatism is in the process, some people say, of needing to be redefined or modernized or whatever. 
uh, era of Reagan is over. No, 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 no. I mean, freedom will never go out of style, and that's the foundation of conservatism. David Limbaugh here, Christian Limbaugh there, uh, across from me, uh, Bloom, I should say, your married name, <laughs> and now, of course, is Rush Limbaugh. Uh, who passed away, Was it's been over a year now, right? Yes, about a year it's, and a half. So what are your thoughts? That's from 2009. What are your thoughts, both of your thoughts, about listening to him as David, you're his brother? Uh, I mean, it's devastating to hear his voice I mean, because uh, it just makes me sad, to be honest. But um, such an inspiration to me. And what what I've been moved by more than anything else is I, I, I knew him since I, I was born, and we were close and closer the, as the years went by. I was always in awe of his talent and his intellect. My, he's like, got my dad's brain. I, I must have got one of like the fifth cousin's brain. Twice removed. <laughs> Chris, that's not true, right? <laughs> no, and, he's modest. And, 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 but, but what really, Brian, blows me away more than anything else is the love that his audience has for him. You, you ought to, if you ever have spare time, go to my Twitter feed. Every day I get tens and twenty. I used to get hundreds of people telling me they miss Rush. They miss Rush. And he was like family to him. He's the best friend they never met. I mean, it's I, I had no idea. Of course I knew his talent. I didn't know how close they were. Mm-hmm. Intimate. He was on the radio. You're a radio guy. I've listened to your radio. By the way, I love your radio show. Thank you. You're you're so informative and so down to earth. Rush had a way of people thinking he was in their room with them. They were just buddies. He just he just was so engaging and so natural and so fluent, and and he felt the people felt like he was their advocate. Mm-hmm. He was sta- like Trump, standing in the way of the radical left destroying this country. How forever. would you feel? How would you think he'd feel about being labeled an ultra MAGA? Or how would he have handled that? This new tactic now of saying you're an extremist if you want to make America great again. He would be very proud of the label because he loved Donald Trump, and, and but this effort to demonize all of us is so absurd and so dishonest. Do you realize I really, I've been a, a strong conservative since I was 15 years old. Our dad raised us steeped in this stuff. Trust me. He taught us, uh, uh, he, he taught um, uh, Das Kapital and the, the Communist Manifesto to us. I remember in seventh grade talking to a teacher about it because the teacher wanted to give everybody C's, and I said, that's communism. Well, the math teacher in seventh grade said, no matter who, <laughs> what? And, and so uh, my dad, our dad taught us that. But we've – Rush would not be bothered at all. He'd take it in stride, except he understands the, the left and the nature, what they're doing. Notice they, they're lie, they lie about everything they do. Um, Biden saying that he did not intend to demonize all uh, Trump Republicans, that's an outright lie. Right. Uh, and and – then he had to back up later. And that stupid, I've heard you talking about that stupid demonic background with the red. <laughs> who, who, he, he's scared. Here's Kristen, what, gets, what would you do as a producer if you're if, if Sean walked out there to make a big speech and that was the background? That's a failure of staff, too, it's isn't so it? It's so bad. It's, it's almost like hard to believe that somebody made that decision. Except, just, you guys, here's, here's what gets me. Everybody on Fox and everywhere else says Trump's policy, I mean, Biden's policies are failing. Uh, I can't believe it. The truth is they intended to do this. They intend to do everything they do. The only time they back up is when they get called on it effectively. Uh, This is not uh, Biden's economy isn't failing. This is what socialism leads to. Uh, uh, Prosperity is destroyed. 
inflation. They were warned about inflation. They lied and said it was transitory. We knew that was that was a lie. Now they have to raise interest rates to the point of killing the economy to get inflation under control. The debt's $31 trillion. There's like 10 existential threats to the United States right now. I can't believe people aren't horrified. I think they are. Uh, but they're happy. You can get you a good feeling about by reading your book, yeah, uh, The Resurrected <laughs> Jesus, The Church uh, in the New Testament. Uh, thanks so much uh, for coming in. And I'll talk to you on TV. Thanks right. so much for having uh, us. Kristen, David, thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum's coming in at the bottom of the hour. Until then, it's just us. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, listen, today's big day for Barack Obama. He gets a portrait at the White House. I do not know why he didn't go when Donald Trump was in the White House. It was probably ready, but he and the First Lady will be pictured there. It's kind of cool if you ever toured there, you see all the portraits. Uh, but we have a lot to discuss anyway uh, that's going through. Hey, kind of cool. The, uh, the, uh, the mayor of New York City finally sent a delegation down to the border to see for themselves what's going on, how bad it is. And they took some shots there, and they want to make sure the people are going on to the buses on their own volition. I think they're getting a, a, a real education if they're open to it. It's about what, how bad this is and what brought Governor Abbott to that point and Governor Ducey to that point because they can't handle it anymore. And it's time for these blue cities, sanctuary cities, the magnets that's bringing them through the border to understand what it is actually like. I wish for Mayor Adams' political future, he went down there, looked at, walked it, understood how bad it was, and then told Biden the story. Because for some reason, uh, I think Biden and he really hit it off. Could make a real difference, but instead, doesn't. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. Please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. Yeah, uh, why not? Uh, here we are in the 2022. You think we're at war or something? We all of a sudden can't handle a heat wave in California. Energy idiocy, idiocy is what it is. California in the cutting-edge green energy push has rolling blackouts imminent and a demand for stopping electricity usage, as you just heard. Is this our electric energy future? I don't think Americans will stand for it or sweat through it. Number two. Every Republican should put the word Biden in front of their opponent. So it's the Biden-Warnick ticket. It's the Biden-Fetterman ticket. It's the Biden-Kelly ticket. And just make sure everybody understands, these people are all part of the same machine. Uh, Newt, we get it. 2022 is heating up as um, Mark Masters uh, tries to get Senator Kelly, Blake Masters tries to get Senator Kelly on the debate stage in Arizona. And Dr. Oz, desperate hunt for the hoodie-wearing Bernie Sanders clone John Fetterman to get him to square off anytime, anywhere. But his fear, his lead, and his stroke are keeping him from the stage. Number one. 
You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows. He knows. Election denial, not a Donald Trump-driven threat to democracy. Evidence clear from the Biden press secretary to Stacey Abrams to Hillary Clinton. has been a practice for decades. So why is Trump labeled an ultra-maga Trumpy extremist and a threat to democracy now? I don't know. Quick note, I'll be in Albany tomorrow. Uh, that's Thursday. I want you to get uh, there's a few seats left. I want you to meet me there, see you in person, VIP opportunities for before the show. We talk about America Great from the Start, 1776 over 1619. I have a chance to talk about my books, the news, and of course take questions from you and specials from Fox Nation if you show uh, all the Fox Nations co-producing this with me. So it's going to be great. BrianKillmead.com or just go to Ticketmaster. Now, uh, quick thing. When it comes to the ultra-maga agenda and the dangerous threat to democracy, the main threat is January 6th. And January 6th is the president. After he lost, I don't think his denials made him look good. I think it made him look terrible. I think the fact that his legal team went out there and tried to prove things that were unprovable uh, made it look even worse. Because when every court case fell on its face, when there was no substance there, that was the issue. But here's the issue that is real, that the president could bring up. You know, the pandemic rules allowed a massive amount of uh, write-in votes. It won't happen again. Number two, there's a lot of states that tightened up the rulings with the drop boxes for the first time ever to certain blocks that can be surveilled. Understood. You can expand, but not 24 hours. Not drive-through voting. Makes no sense. You know, you could have two 18-year-olds in the back seat with the dad pressuring you to vote somehow. You deserve privacy at the ballot box. If you can't get out, I'm sure there's special exemptions depending on your state. Number one. If Pfizer held back the vaccine like look like they did until after the election, that's election. That's affecting the election, uh, perhaps illegally. Number two, what happened with the Hunter Biden investigation as it relates to Joe Biden? Totally suppressed. We're finding out the mechanics behind it that actually destroyed the uh, social media presence of the New York Post for doing it. If you retweeted the story about Hunter Biden, his laptop, and how it's linked to the president, the big guy, and Tony Bobulinski, your account was suspended. All those things that are happening, that the FBI agents who are now being named by whistleblowers within the FBI, these are all real. That you don't have to prove some theory about what happened at some ballot box with some uh, ring doorbell video. Don't worry about that. This other stuff is legitimate. So you want a rematch, Mr. President. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You like to with this current president. I understand it. But this current president wants to vilify you, thinks his best advantage would be to tell everyone you're an extremist because you never acknowledged that you lost the election. Well, is he the only one? Karine Jean-Pierre, when she was a pundit and a lot smoother on MSNBC, I might add, when she didn't, I guess, didn't have to speak to anyone, didn't have to worry about any backlash, tweeted this out in 2016, December 17th. Stolen emails, stolen drones, stolen election. Welcome to the world of hashtag unpresidential Trump. Hmm. It looks like you're denying the election results, but don't stop there. What about 2020? Jean-Pierre, before she got the job, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from the Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Hmm. Doesn't seem like you're accepting the election results, are you? Let me see. Did Hillary Clinton accept election results? Cut three. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. Uh, Did she just have one bad day when she said that in 2019? Do we remember any other times when she said that? 
she claims and denies that she ever said that Trump was illegitimate, that she ever said she didn't lose. Cut four. Was I happy when I beat Donald Trump by nearly three million votes but lost the Electoral College? No, I was not happy. Did I even for a nanosecond think I'm going to claim victory and try to get the Democrats to refuse to certify the election? No. Okay. You never acknowledged. You realize now you have to pretend like that was it, but we taped your others. Remember Stacey Abrams? She protests overseriously, of course, claim race. We have a whole bunch of Hollywood movies that pulled out of Georgia, even though they love to shoot there. And uh, she didn't mind when she rallied everybody against the new election rules in the state of Georgia that caused the, uh, the exit of Major League Baseball's All-Star Game to Colorado. She didn't mind that. But in 2018, after she clearly lost the election, she said this, cut six. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. But to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. Because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot concede that. Okay. This is all bad. All bad. And if the president was truly a unifier, he would say this is all bad. And he said, in order to get to Trump, you have to go back and see who denied George W. Bush ever called him legitimate. Have to go back and see how John Lewis and others said President Trump is not legitimate from Jerry Nadler on down. Obviously, Hillary Clinton on through. Everybody that said he didn't really win. And then you go, well, I'm really upset at President Trump for doing what he did. And then maybe people will listen. But when you come out and say MAGA, ultra MAGA, it's a violent January 6th, you got to be kidding me. This was all heading there. He was the first, he was the last one to go. But believe me. There were a lot. There were violence was brewing back in 2000 as well, but I respect that Al Gore conceded. The people around, a lot of people around him didn't. But by coming out and saying semi-fascists, by coming out and say ultra mega extremists, you are dividing the country in a way that may be distracting from inflation and crime for a couple of days and the border catastrophe. But you're hurting the country. You're supposed to lead the country. You're 78 years old. When will you grow up, Senator John Kennedy? Cut eight. And these independents and these Democrats and these Republicans are Americans, too. And they're going to get pretty tired pretty quickly having the president of the United States of America call them racist and misogynistic and ignorant and un-American and fascist because they disagree with uh, the Bernie Sanders agenda that President Biden has adopted. And, and, and I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, I, I think the president's new tactic is star-spangled stupid. <laughs> when we come back, Martha McCallum will join me. She's anything but star-spangled stupid. She's got great insight. And she also interviewed uh, William Barr uh, yesterday, who is very critical of the president for taking out all this paperwork home. Uh, which he did. We'll discuss that and how it changes things and what it means for these 60 plus days left until uh, the midterm elections. And Martha will be part of our uh, elite election coverage. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 
Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. why was so it let's, let's be really clear. That, that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the, what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. Okay, uh, that was Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre. I got to get Martha McCallum's take on how she did in trying to clarify how denying an election when she was a pundit is different than denying an election when you're a president or a former president or a defeated senator. Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre on December 17, 2016, said stolen email, stolen drone, stolen election. Uh, welcome to the unpresidential Trump, world of unpresidential Trump. She also said that uh, Brian Kemp stole the election from Stacey Abrams. Uh, she treated that. Now she's press secretary. Martha, you just got a little of her explanation effective. No, uh, this is dangerous <laughs> language on both sides. OK, this is very dangerous language. And you wonder why people have lost faith in the system. Um, you know, we could go on for a long time talking about the covid voting rules, which I think were highly, highly problematic and may have changed elections forever and need to be retrenched and rethought. Some states have done that. But the fact of the matter is that to to look at the former president and say that he is unique in claiming a stolen election is complete fabrication. It's made up fairy tale land. When you I just was listening to what you were doing prior to this, playing back all of the times that Hillary Clinton said that the that Donald Trump was not the president. He Jimmy was Carter illegitimate. Said Jimmy Absolutely. Carter said that Russia gave Donald Trump the election. Exactly. And which was debunked after, unfortunately, an extraordinarily expensive two-year Russia hoax investigation. So uh, there's a pox on both their houses in this regard, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big negative for the country across the board. Here's a little of the election deniers, and, and it just blows me away, by the way, on, on the press secretary. She knows she was out there. She knows she was eventually going to get this question, especially mm-hmm. when the president brings it up. You're a crisis manager. You can call anybody. Call up Barry Fleischer. You can call up anybody. Any crisis manager. Listen, I, I tweeted this out. I look pretty bad. How do I deal with this? Admit it, number one. Number two, deny it. Number, it's not possible, but you could deny that You could say someone else broke into your account. That works well. Um, or you could uh, say it's totally different, but give an explanation that might be plausible. Uh, or, number, uh, or number four, apologize. And, and I play. I, I played into it, and I wish I didn't. I wish I never tweeted that out because it really is destructive, and I see that now from where I sit. But here's some more deniers. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you... You know, fight against that in 2020. You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? (laughs) Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president elect as a legitimate president. So that's John Lewis, that last soundbite. Mm-hmm. So why are we pretending like this is new? No, we shouldn't be. And it, honestly, I, I find I find all of that heartbreaking. 
Uh, and then you have these same individuals who turn around in the 2020 election and talk about the legitimacy of the outcome, how, how important it is to respect the outcome, which is what actually President Obama at the time during the 2016 election, he said, you know, even while all this was going on with the emails that were surfacing, the D- Democratic National Convention, all of it dropping during that time, he said, make no mistake. We know how to do this in this country. The outcome of this will be a legitimate election. That's the way it's done in, in America. I'm paraphrasing him, but that was the message that he, he sent out there. So either we need, to, we need to wrap our arms around our electoral system. We need to make sure that people, I think most, the majority of Americans would like to see voter ID. We need to make sure you have custody of the ballots uh, that, that is close um, and accountable. And we need to realize how very deeply dangerous this discussion of, of stolen elections is on either side. So when the president came out, I want to play it again. It uh, says ultra MAGA, MAGA, Trump, Trumpies, or whatever he wants mm-hmm. to call. Is he winning because the Republicans are showing their outrage and not talking about inflation, crime, and the border? To an extent, yes. Uh, one of the things that I hear more than anything else from voters when I go out and talk to people is they want to know what when, – when you're talking about the Republican Party, they want to know what they stand for. They want to know what they're running on. They're asking, where is the contract for America that they present in this midterm election? What are they going to do specifically that is different? And you have this discussion about investigations. Now, I want to know what happened with Hunter Biden as much as anybody. It's a legitimate question. It should be investigated. The fact that they've had that laptop for two years is atrocious. But I don't know that voters want this to be the sole focus. They don't want to hear – Elect us because we'll dig. We'll we'll spend all of our time digging into investigations. They want to hear what you're going to do about things like school choice, for example, about getting our kids educated in a way that is effective and meaningful and competitive in the world. Uh, They want to hear about inflation. They want to hear about bringing crime down. You've got people all across the country paying for you know private uh, versions of protecting their buildings here in New York City pooling their money together just to keep their buildings safe. You have people fighting back on the streets, helping other citizens knock to the ground. What's going on? I mean, you know, President Biden always says, what's going on? What is going on? Right. This is not normal. This is not normal. Exactly. So I I think you're right. I think in terms of effective politics, uh, Republicans are seeding the message and they're allowing themselves to get sucked into this language of, of Joe Biden. So I think he's probably... He's probably quite effective right. for the and, moment. And, and my point was, yeah, I think he might be effective for the most part, but he's getting blowback from his own people like Maggie Hassan, Tim Ryan, the ones that are oh, in yeah. tough fights go, oops, this is not helping me. But this it's not making the me. conversation about that. And I think that was your point. It's yeah. sucking everybody into this vortex where this is the discussion that we're having instead of the things that people really care about in the country. Right. And I just think crime should be number one. I think somehow this country, if they're alerted about what's happening at the border, That would be another major issue. And my goodness, are we forgetting about the way the president left Afghanistan? And that was his sole decision? Uh, We will come back and talk about it because still 60 plus days. Will we even remember a couple of days past Labor Day when we're talking about November 8th? Brian Kilmeade Show. What am I doing here? Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Even if they ha- can technically make the case that there's another step, which is prudentially, do they want to do it? Because it's a former president and its impact on the country. I hope they don't do it. But, you know, the law here, I think, is pretty clear 
uh, that the Justice Department should be able to review these documents. If it got to the point where they, where they wanted to actually put the documents before the grand jury without sanitizing them and protecting the deliberative process, then you would litigate the issue. But for her to come in now in sort of this abstract thing and say this guy is going to decide what is potentially privileged dodges the question, which is, does the president have standing to assert the privilege against uh, the existing administration? That is Bill Barr with one Martha McCallum yesterday. And then the revelation last night, the Washington Post gets another leak, highly classified documents held at Mar-a-Lago is the headline. They contain foreign nuclear secrets, according to the leak, that only a cabinet level official or higher could authorize uh, others to know. So now all of a sudden, that's the pushback on the on the special master that the judge said was worthy of this process. It would decide what is classified, what's not, and to give Donald Trump his stuff back and what's pro- attorney crime privilege, privilege and what's executive privilege. Martha, your reaction to uh, the Bill Barr interview and that excerpt. So, you know, I, I think that what's important to remember about Bill Barr is that he's looking at it from what the law says. So, and I think it was good the way that it's encapsulated there. He's saying he doesn't think that the special master uh, decision was correct because you're all in the executive branch. You've got the president, you've got the Department of Justice, you've got the FBI. They can share these documents within their own confines and then come to some sort of conclusion on them. However, he said, I mean, he obviously believes, he said uh, the other day on America's newsroom, you know, you can't take these documents to a country club after your president. That it doesn't work. He also believed that the Trump folks were, quote, jerking around the Department of Justice. He doesn't think that that any of that was appropriate. However, his coda is, but I hope they I don't think they're going to indict him. And I hope they don't because it would be so destructive and so bad for the country. So I think you have to always listen to everything that he says. And the end of the sentence is often different uh, in some ways. You know, people want him to be a supporter or not a supporter. He's been both in the course of his relationship with with Donald Trump. Um, but always based, I think, on, on what the law is. In reading his book and how much he accomplished, he didn't enjoy being fired the way Donald Trump fired and exploded on him at the end and tried to besmirch his reputation when he did. And then when he comes out and has a chance to write a book, he lets people know that. But he also points out a lot of good things about the president, thought he was doing some really good things. Absolutely. He was very proud of what they accomplished yeah. uh, together. That's why I thought President Trump should have been saying, hey, listen, this guy's going to get a microphone. He's going to get a pen. He's going to write a book. Why does it have to be negative? Look at how much they actually did together, how much better he was in Jeff Sessions. But I want you to hear what Marco Rubio told us. And I'm not trying to one-up you. I just happen to be on Fox and Friends after you, 12 hours after. Marco Rubio was asked the same question. Uh, and here's his answer to these top-secret documents that evidently were at Mar-a-Lago, including nuclear, uh, the nuclear uh, weapons of one country. Again, we go back to people talking about the state of mind of the agents when they got in there, if that's even true. Why, what's the only reason to do that? If you're conducting a serious investigation, you don't hear anything about these investigations. The Justice Department won't even acknowledge that someone is under investigation or not under investigation. If someone's being investigated, you ask the Justice Department to say it's not true, they won't do it. They won't do it either way. They won't comment, especially something when it involves a former president. 
And yet, in this particular case, every single day, someone in yep. the Justice Department is leaking. Why would you leak? There's only one reason to leak this stuff, and that is to create a narrative. And why do you create a narrative? For political purpose. So every single day, they are proving that this, they are politicizing this by what they are doing, as, as opposed to allowing the pleadings and the case to work its way through and speak for itself. And he's in the Gang of Eight, and he's supposed to be briefed on high-level things, and he's never briefed. It was so serious. Why wouldn't you tell us? No, I, I think Senator Rubio is 100% right. And if the Justice Department doesn't like the fact that they are ill-perceived by the public, they should take this to heart. And they should – I mean, where, where is Merrick Carlin with these people? Why is he letting all of this information come out? If he is so – you know, if he – all we heard about Merrick Carlin when he was being nominated as a Supreme Court justice was how even-handed he was. This does not reflect that. The going after parents at school board meetings does not reflect that. He's revealed himself in a way that is unfortunate for someone who's supposed to have the blindfolds of justice on. And this should be completely airtight. It is unfair in the it, – it, it, it is so unfair what's happening with these leaks to build this narrative, as Senator Rubio says, that it – makes everybody skeptical about these agencies. It's a sad state of affairs. It really, really is. So right now, the special master is going to be in place. They want names by Friday. Mm -hmm. When are we going to find out if the Department of Justice will challenge this decision? Well, Barr said he thinks they should appeal uh, just Almost based on the law does. and his reading of the law. Um, I think the upshot of it is it's going to take a really long time. This is going to drag out. It's going to not happen till after the midterms for sure. And then it becomes a 2024 issue. Um it's unfortunate that we're here, right? It, that this it didn't really need to this didn't need to happen. Um, That's a whole. This is there's certain <laughs> things that happen. You're president, yeah, and you can't you can't avoid it. Uh, this, you have to deal with stuff. Controversy comes your way, but this one was this was avoidable. Right, and uh, and I would say this: this protocols. There should be archives, executives down there dealing Absolutely. with the chief of staff and just saying. Uh, the president wants to take this. My problem with that box is X, Y, and Z. Right. Have this take process this box. then. And then I want an arbitrator. Well, when the president really wants that box, get an arbitrator. I'll tell They'll you decide. what the problem was. You know, it was in the middle of COVID, right? The National Archives uh, was shut down. You couldn't get anyone on the phone at the National Archives for two years. If you were a veteran who wanted to get your hands on your own records, people died waiting for the documentation of their service because they couldn't get anyone to answer the phone. Nobody worked for over two years, but apparently they were very focused on this issue. Right. So here's uh, the president's, one of the president's attorneys, Alina Haba, cut 23. The injunction, which means that they've stopped all criminal investigations was granted, which is a great win for the Trump team that is handling this matter. Um, additionally, we received an approval to get a special master, which was exactly what I had hoped would happen. The DOJ, as you may recall, was opposing this. They didn't want it. And what the public had assumed was a delay was, in fact, the, the fact that, and the judge mentioned this, the fact that the DOJ wasn't willing to grant a special master when we requested it prior. So then we had to file a motion. The judge made the right decision, in my opinion. So I, I don't understand why they were so worried about special master except for losing control. Number one, the taint team that's supposed to come in and screen out. Do I have that yeah, right? Good job. Supposed to screen it. Okay, I missed the passport. I missed his medical records, missed his tax records. And what are they doing in Barron's room? I guess if he's really diabolical, he'll go, where won't they look? Under Barron's mattress or Melania's underwear drawer. That's where I'll put it. You could say that. But if they were so 
read in with these whistleblowers who knew where all this stuff was. Why would you need nine hours to grab all this stuff and in the end keep lawyers pinned against the ground when you could have said, why don't you walk through? I'm tired of waiting. Mm-hmm. I just briefed the gang of eight. I'm tired of waiting. I'm going in. Yeah. But I I understand where you're coming from. I think part of the reason that a lot of that stuff was included, some of the personal items were included, is that is to show context of where the document was and what was with the document, what else was in the box. That's what Bill Barr says is the reason for presenting Laying some of stuff this on other the ground. evidence. This is the box that we found, and it was, you know, frame pictures, uh, classified documents, and, you know, Baron socks. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's the reason Time for magazine. taking other items to show how these things were being stored and where they were kept. Right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out, because Martha knows a lot if she needs to know more. Uh, we got enough of the raid. Also, Martha, you have an electric car yet and solar panels on your house. Do you still no, use? Sir. You Are you kidding? I'm so embarrassed for you. It's so <laughs> terrible. Uh, because we are the green the green era has arrived. I go for long drives. Mm, sorry. Not anymore. <laughs> Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We recognize that we needed to do more in terms of de-risking our transition to green energy. And don't think for a second, I'll talk more about that in a moment, uh, that we are not doing anything except accelerating. I mentioned what we're doing on permitting and procurement, accelerating that transition to low-carbon, renewable sources of energy. And that's why they have none. That is, uh, this is their terrible governor who is a horrible mayor, Gavin Newsom, who was talking with a bear in his shirt and a bear in his hat about California. Hey, guys, I know it's hotter than hell, but would you mind keeping everything at 78 degrees? And don't use your dryer, not to put your head in it, but even mm-hmm. to dry your clothes. Because I have an idea. I'm getting rid of nuclear. I'm getting rid of oil, getting rid of gas. I'm going to make you get rid of your cars, too. Two days later, he's saying, don't plug in your car if you're <laughs> one of the 1% in California with a car. <sighs> Martha McCallum, you're here. Are you? This Is this our future? Because 17 states want to do what... Gavin Newsom is doing yeah. 2035 done with cars. Uh, I mean, you have Gas such a cars. deep red divide between the states, a red blue divide between the states. So you've got, you know, as you say, 17 states that want to do the same thing. I'm thinking about the piece that you guys did this morning with the folks from West Virginia who had to help ah. the guy whose electric car ran out of coal. Ran out of uh, coal workers. Yeah, coal workers. Uh, and this guy's electric car ran out of juice, and they had to help him. Like what? I mean, what an amazing image that whole scene is right had to push him to a coal workers pushing an electric car that ran out of juice off of the road for safety um the problem is and i've always said this that you don't we don't have the replacement ready for coal we don't have energy replacements that are ready to go when we do when they're so overwhelmingly effective when you can drive from new york to cape cod with your car without stopping for a half an hour to rejuice it um, then you've got the ability to start making changes if you want to. But what about the question of what goes into these batteries? And what do you do with the batteries when they're gone? I've done a lot of work in this uh, renewable windmill, wind farm in the ocean issue. 
you know, you take one of those blades off, there's no way to get rid of it. It's the size of two football fields. They break all the time. They're not recyclable. You have to get like three trucks and break it into pieces in order to remove one of them. It's These issues are not well thought through. And you're seeing it play out in California. Right. I mean, look, the way it breaks down in California, their power grid consists of this. Natural gas, 37%. By the way, burns clean. If you were serious about this, you'd be fracking. Solar, 14. Wind, 11. Nuclear, 9. Coal, 3. And oil, 0. And what they do is they import a lot of their oil in order to keep these things running. So it's a total joke and a travesty and, and a facade. This way people are moving out. So it costs a lot. We have rolling blackouts. And now you're told we're going to get rid of combustion engines. So good luck with that. Please tell me where this works. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but my iPad, I have to plug it in by the time I get here at 9 o'clock. So mm-hmm. I've been using it since 3 in the morning. Yep. Doesn't hold. Now, it used to hold. But what about the battery in your car after six months? That's a great you know, question. It used to go 350 yeah, miles. Yeah, they run down. Now it's 290. Very quickly they now run it's down. it's 220. And you know what? It, now yesterday, I can get to the corner store. Yeah, it's 210. It's like all of a sudden it's out of juice. And I you know, know what? I, I don't know who has it. Well, now if I have a Tesla, I go to a Tesla place. Right? That's right. So, so this is nothing to do with Ray, but they, put, they ask for all this money that we don't have to print to, to, go, to go to use. So I'm just wondering if you need to know more. Oh, I thought it was oh, there it is. <laughs> Martha, this is the time where we duel it out. So why don't you start? Okay. Justin Bieber canceled his Justice World Tour due to physical and mental health issues after a facial paralysis battle, saying, I need some time to rest and to get better. A tough announcement, obviously. And he's thanked his fans for their support. Uh, He performed in Brazil on Sunday after resuming his world tour. He said uh, exhaustion just overtook him. So what's going on with this, Brian? Listen, so wait. So his face moves. They said it was temporary. He can perform, but mentally he doesn't want to perform, it looks like. Yeah, I guess he's having, you know, I mean, he's had a lot of issues over time. He's a child star who, you know, soared to world fame. And there's a lot of struggles involved in that. Perhaps there's, you know, an emotional side to this story. And we hope he gets better. Well, a lot of times it has to do, I'm not accusing him, but a lot of times it has to do with substance abuse. I mean, is that, that, that usually is when people are exhausted I hope that's not the case. Next, congratulations to everyone at ESPN. The ESPYs Week initiative raised $2.87 million in support of the V Foundation. He was one of the things that he pointed out before he passed away, uh, Valvano, is how much money is going to AIDS and other, organ- and other diseases he gets it. But most people, sadly, in this country, die from cancer. Can we get some cancer money there? Let's hope we see some progress. Because a few years ago, I heard we're getting close to somewhat of a vaccine have you heard anything like this? Some- I, I know that with breast cancer, they feel that they're getting closer to a vaccine. Jen Griffin did a great report on it for us, uh, talking about the form of breast cancer that she had and that they are very hopeful. One of the things is that for doctors to get funding in these areas, you have to have some success in order to get funding through your hospital. So, so much of this research is privately funded through uh, fundraising. Um, you know, I have a great group of friends who do the Crush 11 tour every year, the Pan Mass Challenge, just to raise money for one breast, uh, one brain cancer doctor in Boston who's doing this kind of research. So we have to keep we have to keep going. I do believe we're getting close on these. I really do. Right. Free enterprise at biotech is one of the keys to our success. Next. Michael Jordan, Jersey, expected to fetch as much as $5 million at the Sotheby's Invictus Sports Auction. Is it worth $5 million, Brian? Evidently, was it his last game that he wore in the last dance? The last dance dance jersey from game one, which is hugely 
popular. It's a great series if you haven't seen it. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe it will get that much. Um, my, my son has an autographed Jordan jersey, mm. but I'm not sure he sweated in it. How do I find out? Do I take it out of the Does frame and smell it? Yeah, you do. It smells have to, like Jordan. And he stains on it. Right. Do you take Jordan has his own cologne, right? Does he smell does it smell like Michael Jordan or does it smell like what Michael Jordan wants to smell like? I don't know. You have to break the glass and find out. Next, Kathy Griffin blasted for warning those who don't vote Democrat, vote for civil war. She tweeted out, if you don't want a civil war, vote for Democrats in November. If you do not want a civil war, vote re- if you do want a civil war, vote Republican. Ted Cruz, upset about this, says this is wrong. Crazy Hollywood lefty threatening civil war if Dems don't win. Sadly, this is totally left, angry, hateful, and violent. Where do you stand? The first image that comes to my mind is her holding a severed head, a fake head of the former president of the United States. So as far as inciting civil war, I think she should start by maybe looking in the mirror. All right. This is how different Kathy Griffin used to be. I know. For a 10-year anniversary for Fox and Friends, she basically hosted a best of for us for the final hour, Mm -hmm. tossing a different sound bites. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I still have. What happened, Kathy? I'm not sure. What happened? happened? Next. Uh, Top Gun Maverick becomes the fifth highest grossing movie of all time at the domestic box office. Seven hundred and one plus million dollars passing Black Panther, which was at seven hundred million dollars. So good for Tom Cruise. Right. I mean, this was clearly the feel good movie of the summer. I feel like it was the movie that got the masses back into the movie theater uh, post covid. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was awesome. My my kids all saw it. I think it just brought a whole new generation to to the Top Gun franchise. I do, but do you realize how little dialogue there was in this movie, right? It's Top Gun. That circus flyby maverick. It's, uh, there's not a lot of not a lot of dialogue required. Next, too, fi- uh, too fat to fight. Four-star generals say Americans are too obese or criminal to join the armed forces and defend the country. Enlistment is at its lowest point since the Vietnam War. This, is according to Lieutenant General Brunson, the commander of the Joint Base Lewis McCord in Washington State, theorized that why recruitment is so low is for those reasons. Uh, the Army announced that it meant it, it wouldn't meet its 485,000 recruitment goal for 2022. They found 20,000 short. Should we be letting heavy guys in and women in and no, then getting them be, in shape? We should be reinforcing a message of health. I read this morning that they're they're saying that plus-size clothing is discriminatory. They don't want to call it that anymore. Bring the back story the Presidential three. Physical Fitness Award. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.